we're jumping into the part of our service we've all been waiting for. How many of us, just by a show of hands, and I'm sorry I can't see our hands online, but you can give a thumbs up in the chat if you want. How many of us have been to a question box service before? Okay, so about half and half, right on. Um, so the general scope of this, in terms of what we're about to do, I'd like to introduce our um, two uh, question answerers for the day. We have, of course, Reverend Skyler Vogel as well, who is up at the pulpit and at our smaller pulpit as well. We have Spencer Salzberg, um, our congregational board president. Let's give them both a round a hand for jumping in on it. So the the whole scope of this is um, Spencer and 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 Reverend Skyler have no idea what we uh, what the questions are. We've um, compiled. I've been feverishly looking through them and trying to figure out what would be a great sequence of questions to ask us this morning. And it's a great, it's a great opportunity to ask some of our leaders in the congregation about what their thoughts are, thoughts about um, general things, things about our specific uh, work that we do here at Fourth U, thoughts that they have around their theology and ideas around the work that they do here and outside and elsewhere. And we've got a good lineup of questions this morning. Um, so I'm super excited to be helping facilitate, and thank you both for having me here. So our first question, and this is always, a, a, this is all, we're going to jump in on the big picture stuff. This is always one of the, um, I think one of the themes or topics or first questions that gets asked, and this is for Reverend Schuyler. Reverend Schuyler, our, our question is, why is Unitarian Universalism called a religion when you don't have to believe in God? to be a member? Oh, that's a great question, and, and you're, you're totally right. It's one of those questions that we get asked uh, in this service, but also by folks all the time, because it, Unitarian Universalism, I think, occupies this very unusual space um, in sort of the religious landscape. Um, but we're also not that unusual. Um, there are a lot, of, a lot of ways that we understand religion in this country uh, that are tied to belief, and particularly a belief in God, that defines what religionness is, where internationally and also historically, religiousness is not tied to a set of beliefs or a particular belief in divinity. So I, I think that there's part of it for me is that we have, to we have to detach our understanding that being religious means believing in something, because that historically is not always the case. Um, religion can mean lots of things. It can mean a commitment to action. It can mean a commitment to a community. It can mean a commitment to a certain practice of being. Um, there are a lot of religions today, Buddhism being an example of that, that doesn't necessarily require a belief in a deity. Um, it's often uh, taken in as a practice rather than, rather than a, a set of beliefs in something. So uh, I think Unitarian Universalism has a lot of things that are religious. We have, we have practices, right? We have Sunday morning services. We have traditions, whether it's uh, practices like water communion or child dedications. Um, we have values. We have our seven principles um, that invite us to uh, believe in the inherent worth and dignity of all people. And that has very clear uh, responses that we are, we're, we're called to. It's, uh, that, that moves Unitarian Universalists into a certain direction, right? Like there's no reason, there's no, it's not a coincidence that we were the first denomination to ordain women in the United States, universalism back in 1861, um, or the first denomination to ordain uh, gay and lesbian ministers in this, in this country. 
Um, though there are reasons for that that are based on religious values um, that may not be theological beliefs, but are beliefs, but I think more principles and values in a different way that we do hold very dear. So I think there's also a distinction, distinction between theological beliefs and religious values or principles. Um, and we do have those values and principles, but as far as theological beliefs, beliefs in God, beliefs in the nature of reality and the universe, that is a different thing that we don't skip. We don't have creeds or doctrines. So that's a long answer, but I think, and there's a lot that you can do with that, right? But I think we do count as a religion and we have, we come from religious roots, so. Thank you for that, Skylar. And it's such an interesting thing because we talk about that all the time as individual members, how we can all come to this place and, and believe in different things and still congregate under one roof, which is very interesting. And so passing something very similar over to you, Spencer, Next question for you is in a similar vein, what do the words God and spiritual mean to you? Let's see if we get, get, get your juice going. <laughs> is this on? There we go. There you go. God and spiritual belief. Uh, yeah, what, what do the words God and spiritual mean to you? Uh, to me, I think God is a spirit. I don't think it's a man or a person or a, a creature. I think God is a collective spirit that loves everyone. And uh, I find spirit can be uh, an individual spirit, an individual person's soul, or the collective soul, which uh, is what I believe God is. That's, I, thank you for that. That's. That's a great answer. And, and again, interesting just to see, you know, everybody who what everybody might think of that, right? I'm sure there are many, many different answers to that. Um, so, okay, let's let's continue on that. How do you find um, uh, let's let's pass this one back to Skylar. How do you find the sacred in everyday life? And maybe the sacred even needs a bit of a definition in and of itself. But the question specifically is, how do you find the sacred in everyday life? It's a great question, and um, and I think yeah, the definition of sacred is also a question, right? That everyone has a different perspective on in Unitarian Universalism. For me, sacredness means something that is of some deep value, uh, of mattering beyond sort of the materialism that I think we can fall into. Um, people who just think, or folks, the philosophies that that see things as just what they are, um, and I don't think you have to believe in a God to see things or believe that things are more than what they appear or at least hope that they are. Um, and so for me, when I look for sacredness, um, I look at things that feel like they, they matter in some transcendent way or some deeply powerful way that defies my own simple understanding of them. So for me, sacredness is found in, in human relationships. Um, it's found in feelings of, of love and bond with people in my life. Um, it's found in the world and in moments of quiet uh, and, and peacefulness. Um, uh, I love being out in the park and connecting with nature. I love sitting on my porch in the summer and hearing the, the world around me and just feeling safe and, and comfortable. And that feels like a deeply sacred meditative space for me. Um, and I find it, I find it here. I love coming in during the week 
when uh, it's really quiet here and sitting in this space. And I, you know, I invite everyone to come by at one, you know, sometime during the week to have that experience. It's a very different feel to be in this sacred space by oneself and with the, the quiet of the city muted um, around you after coming in from Central Park. Um, I, think it, I think we have a, we can really um, find little small ways, but I think that sacredness is through small, simple things often less the flashy things that I think oftentimes we are told uh, we should pursue. I love that. Thanks for that, Skylar. I agree. One of my favorite moments being in this space when it's um, in, in, in an individual moment is actually in the winter. And it's usually when we have the first snowfall and, and the, the, the park and the, and the outside of Central Park West get blanketed with snow and it creates this really um, beautiful view that you see out there of just this world being closed in, but just really, really singular and really, really centered. It's really beautiful. Thank you for that. Um, Spencer, this is one for you. This is a two-part question. Um, as our board president, you're, you're a member of this congregation. And so the question I have for you that was posed is two-part. One is why did you decide, why did you decide to join Fourth Universalist? And further to that, what would you say attracts people to Fourth U the most? And what keeps them coming back? The first question was, why did I join? Fourth why U? did you join? Why did you join Fourth U? Uh, I find that uh, Unitarian Universalism is closest in my belief system to what I believe about spirit and God and faith, uh, and that it's inclusive and it welcomes all different people, all different backgrounds, all different heritages. Uh, that it encompasses respect and love and um, allows people to believe different things, but still have a commonality that brings us together. Uh, I also found it to be, uh, I guess the word sacred when you come in here, it's peaceful and welcoming and calm and soothing, and it allows us to connect to something higher. Uh, also, it was, uh, geographically convenient, so I was able to get here uh, by subway. Oh, so that does help. Oh. <laughs> uh, but the people, when I started to attend uh, about 20 years ago, were very friendly and welcoming and non-judgmental and spiritual and kind all at the same time. That's amazing. What a cool thing to have both of those things combined, too, and being close. That always helps as well. Um, both. We, music is such a big part of our, our, our congregational life here, our spiritual life here. Um, and so I thought it might be interesting as question master today, just to actually pose a question to our guest musician, Mr. Ted Motz, everybody. Um, and Ted, a question for you, just to kind of break things up as we're in between. Um, you know, we, you're, you're one of our most frequent guest musicians and we're blessed by your talents every week that you're here. And so the question I have for you is, is what has been, um, what sticks with you about this congregation and the work that you do here and what resonates with you week after week when you're here? And do you have any particular songs that, um, that stand out to you in terms of things we've done here before? and how they reflect the life of this space? And if so, what are they and why? Well, I wanna start by answering your second question, which is that the song that we started with today, 
which is called People Make the World Go Round, is, well, it sort of speaks for itself as far as what's great about this place and why I love coming to work here. I feel like every time I come and play here, I meet someone new and, and wonderful, and I have a great conversation with them, and, and um, it's just, it's, I find truth in the title of that song by just coming here, you know, that it is people that make your, your world go round when you, you have a good interaction with someone and it makes you smile and, and you're, you do something, you go out of your way to help someone and, you know, it makes you feel good knowing that you've helped someone else. And, and um, so that's, that's what I love about working here. I, I, it's, it's a different place. It's, it's, uh, helps me to be relaxed, you know, take a deep breath and, and get away from the stresses of the outside world. Thanks, thanks for that, Ted, and thanks for being willing to be a part of that, too. Um, let's give Ted a hand for that, I think. That's, yeah, that was a, that was a fantastic answer. <laughs> right on, all right. Um, diving back into some hard questions. Um, we're not hard questions, but questions of, of deep digging in terms of the work that we do here. Um, Skylar, a question that's sort of come up in a, a couple of different capacities. There's two sets of this question, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna offer both of them, and, and I, I will um, pass it to you in terms of answering how, how you think. Um, we have a question in the chat that asks, why do you think that even though UU values um, promote inclusion and celebrates racial diversity, that still the majority of its members, of UU members, are white. And another question that was asked similarly was, um, specifically here at 4th U, what do we do, what is being done to foster um, an increase in the diverse, diversity of, of our congregation specifically? Very, those are great, very important questions, and I appreciate them being asked. Historically, there are some reasons why Unitarian Universalism is, is white, fairly white, uh, majority white. Um, part of that is based on uh, who had power uh, in the old days of Unitarian and Universalism. Um, the Unitarians especially came from a very privileged place. Um, they were in uh, positions of a great deal of wealth and, uh, and there was racism. Um, attached to that, um, and that that racism continued through uh, through many years, and 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 continues um, today in, in perhaps more subtle forms, but but still real forms. Um, this congregation had a minister in the 20s who would go on to be like all for the eugenics movement, um, and uh, not during his time here, fortunately. But that was part of the universalist conversation, right? This idea that like you know, so our our bad one of our one of our unstated but but very real theological, I think, beliefs is that things are getting better, right? And our job is to, or, or at least that our job is to help make the world a better place. And so at that time, there was a belief that if you would change people's genetics and breed people in a certain way, you could make people better. Uh, and that was part of both Unitarian and Universalist ideology um, for a time. And that was, you know, not that long ago. Uh, those things came you know, continued through congregations made it, you know, their congregations made it clear that if, if you were not white or you didn't fit sort of the white culture, right? Because that's part of it too, right? It's, there's a separation between 
between actively racist things uh, and things that are uh, what we strive to be, which is actively anti-racist. Um, and that's part of what this congregation's work has been, um, is to be very clear that we're not just we're not just not racist, right? Like there's a distinction between being like, oh, like we as a congregation strive to to not not be racist, but we want to really push push the other way around and be actively anti-racist. Make sure that everything that we do is is filtered through the lens of anti-racism work, anti-oppression work, uh, and there's lots of oppressive things in this world. There's sexism, there's homophobia, there's xenophobia, um, and racism is a huge one. Um, but I think part of it is, is overcoming these legacies uh, about what define what is normal. And in UU spaces, historically normal is white. Um, the things we do are white. Uh, the way we have conversations are, are white. Um, and so we have to really be critical of our, of our collective universalist Unitarian ways of being to interrogate whether those things are, you know, are, are still things that are coming up. And we're, we do it very imperfectly, um, but you know, we, do, we, we try to do it here by affirming the eighth principle, which is an explicitly anti-racist, anti-oppressive principle. We have our seven, we voted on our eighth. And we have a task force of people in this congregation that are working to instill those values in the congregation and it as this most notable form recently that we're going to vote in two weeks on a new mission statement that has clear language about racism and oppression within it. Um, that's that's something. Um, it's about making sure our hiring practices and our employment practices are uh, anti-racist, anti-oppressive. Some small things like making sure that salaries are posted in job descriptions, right? When you and you put this, so people don't waste time wondering uh, how much you're going to pay them before you get interviewed, right? And go through the whole process. Um, that posts are advertised in many different places. Um, there are these small things that go a long way, I think, that are, uh, that are pushing back against who has power, who did that power benefit, um, and often that power benefits those people who have it already, uh, and, uh, and, and those are forms of cultural whiteness uh, and, and white supremacy in many ways. So um, there are a lot of ways, and I'm happy to talk with anyone afterwards too about more specific things that, that we as a congregation are doing and that many of you are doing. Thanks for that, Skylar. And yeah, you, it's interesting you bring up about not just doing that work as in terms of anti-racism, but, but right across the board, right? And so Spencer, a question that I have for you, um, under, in that, that, that same vein, how do we continue to fight injustice in the world without becoming dispirited or depressed or in some instances, just continually enraged. How do we fight injustice without uh, continuously being enraged? Yeah, or becoming um, finding dis becoming dispirited or depressed sometimes, even as we see things that are happening in the world and, and trying to find the strength to to keep moving through them and keep fighting them. How do we how do we keep refilling our spirits as a result of that? in a couple of different ways. We have to look at how, we, how far, what we've done to get where we are. We've made great strides in many areas of oppression. Not all, not every area of oppression and not all types of oppression, but we have made steps and we have to look to those steps to help us gain strength and stability now so we can look to the future. We support one another both spiritually, politically, uh, religiously, so that we maintain each other and our own spirits to go forward. Right on. Thank you for that, Spencer. 
Um, we're coming close to the end of our time, but I do have one last question, and this is actually a question for both of you. Um, and it's probably the most important question that's been asked so far, if I'm honest. Um, what is your favorite Taylor Swift song? And let's add maybe a Y on there if you want to add that in as well. Um, <laughs> Skylar? Well, um, I, I do not claim to be a Taylor Swift expert. I do know that the very first Taylor Swift song that I heard and I remembered and I liked was Teardrops on My Guitar. I believe it was during her country phase, or, but it was fairly early on, but it was catchy uh, and, and I, it felt like she was going to be going places and uh, she did. So I, I still have that. I can still kind of remember a few lyrics from it. Uh, and uh, I think that would be my favorite. That's a great one. Thank you for answering that with so much respect too, as well, and reverence to the question. Um, Spencer, your answer? Shake it off. <laughs> Plain and simple. <laughs> but uh, honorable mention to the one that she released from the album, I think called Love or Lover, and it's why, why do you have to get so mad? Why are you so angry? I've only heard it a few times, and I've seen the video. What was that? Something like that, yeah. We may even have a title waiting. That might be a conversation yeah. for coffee hour all around. That one gets an honorable mention. Uh, there we go. So we got, and we got three Taylor Swift twos to go away with. Um, Reverend Schuyler, Spencer, thank you on behalf of everyone here, everyone online too. Thank you so much for um, rolling with it. Let's give them a huge round of applause for a fantastic question box period. And let's thank, thank Sean too for being, being our host. Excellent.